Well, can you turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians um, chapter 10? Let me add my welcome to Phil's. My name's John T. Um, I'm one of the leaders here as well. And we're on page 1,151, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I'm actually going to read from uh, 9.24 uh, through to 10.14. Uh, so 1 Corinthians 9.24 to 10.14. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. But I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day... 23,000 of them died. We should not test Christ as some of them did and were killed by snakes. And do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. So if you think you are standing firm, Be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. I mean, even reading this, right? I don't think it's hard to see that this is not a light, this is not Paul in a light-hearted, jovial mood. This is Paul at his most passionate, heartfelt, desperate. And it's pretty clear that what Paul is doing is warning, warning them. And I want to suggest, I want to try and persuade you this afternoon that to warn something is a loving thing to do. To warn someone is a loving thing to do. At first sight, we might read these words and think they sound a bit harsh. Actually, they are deeply loving. 
In fact, our warning, warnings are essential to our security as Christians. You will only be secure, you will only be safe in the extent to which you understand the danger that you are really in. If I take my, uh, if, if I take some children to the beach, and I think I really want you to enjoy the beach, and I say to the kids, uh, "Look, this is this is great. The, the, the sea is the sea is very very dangerous. I've got a few warnings for you. Uh, if you go anywhere near the sea, you will probably get sucked out in a riptide, and uh, and there will be all sorts of sharks and things that basically want to eat you, and jellyfish that want to sting you." And the tide comes in very fast and you'll probably be cut off. What are, are my kids going to enjoy the beach? No. Right? I have warned them, but they're not going to enjoy the beach. They're going to be miserable. Okay, so perhaps I should try this. What about if I said, kids, don't worry about it. Sea's fine. No worries. You'll be safe. You'll be fine. Don't worry. Yeah, but dad, we heard that uh, people get drowned in the sea. Don't worry about it. Won't happen to you. Yeah, but that's someone said they were riptides. Doesn't matter. Just go and have fun. I assume you think that that's bad parenting too. Actually, the safety and enjoyment of my children is utterly dependent on the warning and the comfort. So what I say is, it is dangerous, be careful. But don't worry, because daddy's there. Right? Don't worry. You'll be safe. And as Christians, we need God's loving warning and his beautiful comfort. And there is where you find security. And what you have in 1 Corinthians 10 is part of God's love for you. You want to know how much God loves you? He loves you enough to warn you. And yet what's going on in Corinth, what's happened in this church, and we've been looking at this church, and let's just flick back to chapter 8, verse 1. Let's just remember the issue. Let's remember what's going on in Corinth. Chapter 8, verse 1, here's the big deal about food sacrificed to idols. Remember, that's the big issue. They're saying to Paul, can we just join in? Can we eat the food? Everyone seems to be having a lot of fun in the temple. You know, they're having like temple meals, and that seems to be lots of drink and sex, lots of stuff going on in the temple. Can we just join in? Can we eat that food? And Paul has been saying to them, no, no, no. And it's as if he gets louder and louder and louder. Chapter 8, it was, no, don't join in, because if you join in, you will lead others who are weaker than you into sin. You'll destroy others. Chapter 9, it was, no, don't join in, because actually your freedom is to be expressed in, in loving others and seeking their salvation, not in indulging your own desire. And in chapter 10, it gets louder still. In chapter 10, it says, no, 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 because you will be destroyed. You are in danger. And the danger, Paul wants to see, the the, the Corinthians, he wants them to see that the danger that they're in now, I think we have different voices for warnings. You know, there's the sort of jokey warning. You know, the sort of warning that goes, oh, don't go too close to the river, the crocodiles will bite your leg off. That sort of warning. Right? There's, that's level one warning. 
Then there's a sort of level two warning that goes, no, seriously, darling, don't go near the river. The crocodiles will eat you. That's level two. Level three is, could you get away from the edge, please? The crocodiles are going to eat you. That's level three. Level four is, ah, run, run, there's a crocodile right behind you. Let's get it. That's level four. This is level four, (laughs) right? This is Paul at his most strong. You are in absolute danger. And he is pleading with them because he loves them. What are they in danger of? Not crocodiles. Although if you want a summary of my sermon, this is a summary of my sermon, don't flirt with crocodiles. But it isn't a crocodile, a real crocodile, that's the problem. The problem is they're flirting with idolatry. They're flirting with all sorts of stuff. They're flirting with things that are drawing them away from God. Can we just indulge ourselves in this bit of idolatry? Surely it's not. You know, we know all this stuff about God. We know idols are nothing. Can we not just join in? Paul says, stop flirting with crocodiles. Hear the warning. And actually what they're in danger of is being disqualified. Have a look down with me at verse at 27. Paul says, I strike a boy low to my body, I make it my slave, so that after I preach to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Paul says, here is the danger, that you might miss out on the prize that God has for you. That you might be disqualified. That you might not make it to the end. That you might, according to verse 13, fall. And suddenly it's like, if you've been around church for a little while, it's like suddenly we go, (gasps) but I thought Christians can't fall. You know, I thought if you belonged to God, then you were safe and you were his and you'd never fall. Doesn't it say somewhere in the Bible that no one will ever snatch you out of God's hand? What's John T talking about? How could it, well look, Paul thinks he can fall away. The Apostle Paul thinks that he could be disqualified and fall away. It's there. We've got to do something with that. And our problem is that if we allow the gospel to produce complacency in us, we are in huge danger. And in Corinth, they have become complacent. They've waded out into the river. There are crocodiles all around and they're just going, I'm all right. We'll be fine. After all, Jesus died for us. Jesus forgives us. And look, we're really gifted church and we're just fantastic. And Paul says, wake up and see the danger. Is it possible for Christians to fall away? Is it possible for someone who's trusting Jesus to stop trusting Jesus and to fall away? No. There's the comfort. Yes, there's the warning. How do you stay safe? You hold on to both. Hear the comfort, hear the warning, and stay safe. How is it that God keeps his people safe? By warning them. The warning is how God keeps you safe. So take the warning seriously. Paul wants the Corinthians to know that they're in danger. But they haven't got a clue. So Paul has three three things to say to them. Here's the first one. He says, wake up and see the danger. He says, don't run aimlessly. Don't run aimlessly. Have a look at verse 24 with me. Let's, right, we're going to get into this. We're just going to work through the text now and see this big warning that Paul gives. He's waking us up. 
Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. This is, this is basic, right? When you run in a running race, it's very simple. Um, a, a long time ago, there was a very... Uh, right, Monty Python used to be very funny a long time ago when I was... I was even before I was little, Monty Python was funny. And uh, Monty Python had a brilliant sketch called the Silly Olympics. And uh, in the Silly Olympics, you can look on YouTube, I almost downloaded it to show it to you, but I thought it would be distracting. In the Silly Olympics, there's um, the 100-meter dash, for those who have no sense of direction. And uh, they all line up, and there's a brilliant commentary, and they're all lining up along the, the starting line, like a 100-meter run, and, they all, and the gun goes, and they just all run in different directions. It is, it's much better when you watch it. And... Uh, and Paul says, no, that's, it's, it's silly because you know that when you run, you run with a point. You run towards a goal. You run towards a prize. And Paul says, you've got to run for the prize. There is a prize ahead. But what's happened in Corinth is that they've forgotten the future, right? They've forgotten the future. You know that because in 1 Corinthians 15, he goes big on the future. He says, you've forgotten it all. You think it's all about now. And because they think it's all about now, they think it's all about being blessed now. They think it's all about the gifts now. They think it's all about being impressive now. This is what we've seen over and over again. They think it's all about sexual immorality now. They think it's all about freedom now. This is Corinth. It's all about now. They've forgotten the prize and so they're running aimlessly. They're all over the place. They have no sense of direction. And they're running around and as they run, they're saying, we're free, we're free. And they're just running in different directions. And it's as if Paul goes, you're so stupid. How can you, what is wrong with you? Even an athlete gets this. Freedom doesn't mean running aimlessly. Freedom means running for the prize. Let me ask you this question. Is Mo Farah free to eat a burger? Thank you, James. Yes, Mo Farah is free to eat a burger. But he expresses his freedom in not eating a burger for the prize. Now, we say, as he doesn't eat a burger, we go, wow, that's sad, isn't it? He's not free. He's absolutely free. Of course he's free, but our definition of freedom means getting whatever I want now. Rubbish. True freedom means knowing what matters and pursuing it with all of your heart. True freedom means living for the prize that you were made for. Freedom does not mean Mo Farah stuffing his face with a burger because he feels like it now. As the gold medal is hung around his neck, he says, now it's all been worth it. And do you see, when Jesus came into this world, he came to to win for you a prize. Do you know what your prize is? See, this is the trouble, right? We're never going to run for the prize if we don't even know what the prize is. If we're not excited about the prize, if it doesn't capture our hearts, if it doesn't have a hold on us. Paul says the prize is a crown. A crown. In his day, the athletes ran for a crown that does not last. 
But we, we run for a crown that will last forever. A crown of life. A crown of splendor. A crown that Jesus himself will place upon your head and will say, my precious, precious child, well done. Well run. And as we look into his eyes, we'll see the very one who died to win the prize for us, giving us the prize. And on that day, we'll say, do you know what? It's all been worth it. All those things that I gave up. Here is freedom. It's about knowing the prize is ahead. Don't run aimlessly. You run for the prize. You run with your eyes fixed on the prize. You run with your head clear about the future. Let's be careful, Let's be careful not to push verse 24 too far. It troubled me slightly this week as I read it. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run but only one gets the prize? That's a disturbing image, isn't it, in a church? It's like, quick, get out of the way, I'm going to be the one. <laughs> Let's not push it too far. But his point is clear. Don't run aimlessly. And Paul says that's the, that's the attitude he takes to himself. Freedom does not mean indulging whatever I want now. Paul says, no, actually I will strike a blow to my body and make it my slave. I mean, the images that he uses are very striking. He doesn't literally mean this. He doesn't literally mean that we get a big stick and we beat ourselves over the head. That's not what he means. What he means is I pay a price. I deny myself for the sake of a greater prize. The Corinthians didn't know anything about self-denial. If you want it, take it. If you feel like it, have it. They knew nothing about it. Paul says no true freedom is about the future. So he says don't run aimlessly. So I wonder as you look at your life, are you running aimlessly around? <laughs> you know, chasing after this prize. Oh, here's a promotion at work. Oh, I've got that now. What should I run after? Oh, oh, look, here's something else. I'm so free. I'm so free. What a difference if you could get so clear that there is a prize ahead that is beyond anything the world has to offer and you run for that prize and you run saying no to the stuff of this world, no to being impressive now, no to sexual immorality now, no to promotion to push yourself forward, no to being the most best in the world and you pursue Christ. And you say, I'm going to try and take as many with me as I go. If that means I have to give some stuff up, I'll give stuff up joyfully. I'll give up everything to chase after Christ. This is what we saw in Paul last week, right? Paul says, if I've got to become like a Jew to win the Jews, I'll do that. Of course I will, because I'm surprised. If I've got to give up some stuff, if I never eat meat again, fine. If I've got to become a vegan to win the vegans, I'll become a vegan. <laughs> there we see, see? It's hard, right? What does it mean? The cost, the price that is to be paid. And Paul says, you know what? I will strike my body. I will deny myself. Because Paul says, I don't want to be disqualified for that price. Here's the second uh, big thing he says. Don't boast arrogantly. Have a look how he goes on in verse 10. For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters that our ancestors were all under the cloud. They all passed 
through the scene. Suddenly what Paul does is he starts talking about Old Testament Israel. He's just been talking about himself and, and it all feels like a bit of a gear shift but he's going to make a very strong point now. And I want us to brace ourselves for this because this is strong and there will probably be some pieces to pick up after this and I get that and we're, I'm, we're going to do some piece picking up later. But we've got to hear his warning. He says, if you're so arrogant as to think that you could never fall away or you could... You know, you're not going to be doing... Of course, course God will give me the prize. Well, let's have a look at some people who didn't get the prize. Let's look at some people who missed out. Let's look at some people who were disqualified. To wake us up. He starts talking about Old Testament Israel. And he starts by saying, look, they were seriously blessed. Right? Here's Corinth, okay, going, yeah, yeah, we're so blessed. We've got all these spiritual blessings. Yeah, we've been baptized. That was a big thing for them. They like that baptism. You know, we've, we have the Lord's Supper. Lord's Supper was a big thing. You know, we eat the bread and drink the wine. You know, these are big things for us. Paul says, yeah, Israel had all that. Yeah, Israel had all of that. They had baptism. They had communion. Look, look what he says. They were all under the cloud. They all passed through the sea. You know, you, your experience, Corinth, can't really trump those who came through the Red Sea with the cloud of God's presence over them and the sea parting and them going right through the sea. You got anything like that, Corinth, to boast about? Verse 2, he says that was their baptism. They were baptized into Moses. That's weird. Why would he say that? Well, because Corinth is saying... The, the, the privilege is we've been baptized into Christ. Paul says, yeah, they had that. They had a baptism into a, into a mediator who stood before God for them. They had all that. They had the representative. They had the baptism. They had the experience. They had it all. And not only did they have baptism, verse 3, they also had communion. Look, they all ate the same food and drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Again, these images are like slightly bizarre to us, that there's this rock that kind of follows them around. But the point is, in the desert, as they wandered around, God provided water from a rock. That rock is Christ, Paul says. They had Christ with them. Christ fed them. Christ gave them water. They had all the privileges... Look at verse 5. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them and their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. You've got to let that hit you. Can I just be crystal clear? When, when Paul says God was not pleased with most of them, what he means is God was not pleased with all of them except for two. Only two. Two of that generation of Israel made it to the prize. Only two who came through the Red Sea, who saw all of that stuff, who had... Surely we think, well, if I'd seen... If God had taken me through the Red Sea, surely I would... You know, I'd definitely never doubt him again. Only two of them. There was probably close on a million of them. And there was only two... And 
And why? Look at verse 6. Let's have a look. Um, here's here's the, the big point Paul's making. As you read the Old Testament, as you read these stories, these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things. When we read those stories, we don't read those stories and just go, oh, that's a sad story. You read that story and you say, that's written for us. It's for us. That's what the Old Testament is for. To keep us from doing the same thing. Okay, so here we go. Here are the, here are the four ways they blew it. Look, verse 7. They were idolaters. As some, do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it's written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in reverie. Come on, surely you can see what Paul's doing. You're asking me about food sacrifice to idols. You're asking me if it's okay to join in and eat food sacrifice to idols. Well, okay, let's look at Old Testament Israel. They were idolaters. They exchanged God for other gods. They joined in the kind of party. Verse 8. Here's the second thing. They committed sexual immorality. We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. Here's Corinth. We're free. We're free to indulge in sexual morality. We're free to do whatever we want. We're free to... Really? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's Israel. That's Israel. 23,000 of them died. Is this what your God is like? Do you have a God that would kill 23,000 people because they rebel against him? It's not comfortable, this, is it? Verse 9. We should not test Christ as some of them did. And were killed by snakes. Putting God to the test, saying, come on then. You failed us. You've let us down. Verse 10, do not grumble. Do not grumble. As they grumble against God. Why have you brought us to this rubbish place? We were better in Egypt. Like cucumbers in Egypt. And they were killed by the destroying angel. This changes my view of angels. Next time you see a cute little angel with little wings and little halo, some angels are destroying angels who execute God's right judgment. Now look, I, I get it, right? I get, I, I, I get that this is hard. And why would Paul do this? Because he's saying to Corinth, please don't do this. Our view of God is so small. When we talk about God's love, we talk about it in a way which makes us complacent, as if God is not the holy, righteous, all-powerful God. And we go, it's okay, he loves us. He won't mind. He does mind. He minds sin. He minds idolatry. He minds sexual immorality. It bothers him. It grieves him. It angers him. And he judges 
it. And most of them missed out on the prize because of this. I went on a speed awareness course recently. It, I, I had. It, I was going to make. I, I was going to say that it was out of the goodness of my heart. It wasn't. It was suggested. It was suggested to me. <laughs> and uh, and I watched a video of a man who used his mobile phone for five seconds to send a text, went through a red light, and killed a little girl, and ended up in prison for two years. And I remember sitting there thinking, well, this is a bit heavy. Could we not just have a slightly lighter thing? That's the point, right? And yet, do you know what? There's still a little part of me that goes, yeah, but it wouldn't happen to me. Because we think we're the exception. We all think we're the exception. We all think that we won't be the one who fails. So I can handle it. I can cope with this. It's okay. I can do it. And, you know, we read Israel and we go, yeah, but I won't make the same mistake. Those of you who are married, you think, well, I'd, I'd never have an affair. I'd never commit sexual immorality. I'd never do that. Paul says, please wake up. Please wake up and see the danger. There is danger. There is so much danger. And the warning is to wake us up. The warning is not to freak us out. The warning is to wake us up and to say, take God seriously. Because what, what a thing it would be if, we spent, if I spent my life preaching you a gospel that said, Jesus loves you. Jesus died for you. Jesus forgives all your sin." doesn't matter now. Try your best, but have a go. What a disaster it would be if you were to die and you were to miss out on the prize and for eternity to be in hell because I didn't do my job of warning you. That's the sort of stuff that haunts preachers. It haunted Paul. And Paul says, I'm not going to be guilty of that. This is the warning. So let me strike this warning. Verse 11. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us. What is it that we set our hearts on? What is it that captivates you? What is it that you pursue? What is it that takes your eyes off Jesus? What is it that could disqualify you from the prize? Do you know what it is? Is it sexual immorality? Is it a love of money? Is it success? Is it applause? Is it pleasure? Is it What is it that could drag you away from the Christ and mean that for all eternity you sit there saying, why? Why didn't I listen? I think we take God so lightly and I think we treat him trivially. And I've been really challenged this week to say, I need to wake up and be serious. one last thing and that is use the exit 
because Paul knows what he's doing. And if you think I've been harsh, and if you think Paul has been harsh, listen, here comes the comfort. Look at verse 12. If you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Here's the danger with preaching a sermon like this. Some of us really need to hear this because we need to wake up. Some of us will be crushed by this sermon. And I want you to know, I've been praying for you. Because I don't want to crush you. You need to hear this warning, this comfort right now. Your hope rests not in yourself, but in God. God is faithful. The God who rightly and lovingly and justly punishes sin is the God who so loved you that he sent his son. Because Israel fell in the desert, because they could not do it, this is why Christ had to come. They couldn't do it. They couldn't get to the promised land. They couldn't get to the prize. And God's plan was always that he would send his son because he is faithful. And the faithful one sent his son who died on a cross, who took your sin, who took the punishment. The destroying angel destroyed him. He was killed by the snakes. He died for you. And therefore, there is no need for you to fear. You run to Christ. And with all that I have and all that I am, I want to plead you to run, with you to run to Christ and trust him. Cling to him. Take hold of him. Love him. Fix your eyes upon him. Fill everything with him because God is faithful. And he will keep you. He will not let you fall. He will not let you fall. He will provide a way out. Use the exit. The exit is Christ. I think sometimes we read that verse and we think, he will provide a way out. And we have this kind of view that temptation comes and we're supposed to go, okay, there's a way out here somewhere. Like playing a computer game, you know, and you have to go and find the, how do I get out of this room? Every door, ah, here's the way out. That's not what it means. The way out's Christ, Right? It's always the same. You don't have to go looking for it. The way out is Jesus. How do you escape any temptation? You look at Christ. You look to him. And he has provided what you need. Therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. Run. Don't flirt with crocodiles. We have to run. We're going to spend some time praying together because these are hard words. But 1 Corinthians is a book that's written for us so that we might understand. And perhaps for some of us, we do need to really get serious. Get serious about our own hearts. Get serious about Christ who died for us.
Let's heed the warning. God loves you far too much to tell you you're safe when you're not. So why don't we pray together? Um, And I'm going to suggest just in the quietness, um, I want you to identify what it is you think in your life that is most likely to keep you from Christ. If you're not a Christian here, what is it that keeps you from coming to Jesus right now? What are you not willing to give up? What has a hold on your heart? What have you set your heart on? Or what do you think it might be? We've got to know ourselves. What is it that we will give everything for? Can you identify that now? Do you know what it is? Come on, don't just sit there. Let's be proactive in this. Okay, with that thing in mind, I want you to turn your eyes to Jesus. Lift your eyes to him. Lift your eyes to the God who is faithful. Lift your eyes to the prize. I want to ask you this question. Is that thing that you've set your heart on more valuable to you than the crown that lasts forever? the prize that Christ died for to give you. And will we now, in the quietness of our hearts, plead with God that that thing would not disqualify us from the great prize? Heavenly Father, thank you that you warn us because you love us. Thank you that your warnings are good. Father, we ask that you'd help us not to mess around with idols, not to mess around with sin, not to flirt with stuff, not to fiddle around and say, well, we'll be okay. Help us to hear the warnings and to flee, to flee with all the strength that Christ gives us. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.